So it was when I was about 18 years old that I ended up on a bus from Hartford to Providence. And uh, if there's anything this close to hell, it's being in a bus <laughs> going from Hartford to Providence. And I happened to sit down next to somebody who almost as soon as I sat down next to her, she was all over me about Jesus. I was not a follower of Jesus at that time. And oh man, she was the church lady of all church ladies. And just let me have it both barrels about Jesus. And it had something to do with this question, which perhaps some of you have been asked. If you were to die tonight, are you sure that you would end up in heaven? Well, I didn't really care about that question of heaven. But she had touched something very deep within me. All of my life up until that point, I had been terrified of dying. And it wasn't so much whether I was going up in heaven or hell. I didn't believe in those things. It was the idea that when I died, that would be the end of it. That literally caused me many sleepless nights, the fear of annihilation, of being dead forever. So what did I do about her question? I completely dismissed it. I couldn't wait to get off that bus and get away from that woman. And that was sort of the end of it for a number of years. Now, I know that there have been a a good number of you probably here today who have responded positively to that line of witnessing, that line of evangelism. I'm not disparaging it. I'm just saying it didn't work with me. In fact, there probably is a verse that some of you have memorized that was part of that presentation. I'm sure it's John 3.16 that promises to rescue from perishing anyone who believes in Jesus and that promises to give us eternal life. Now, verse 17 needs to be added. Let's let's read that together, this famous verse, okay? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That says very simply that if anybody here wants to be saved from perishing, if you desire eternal life, you need to believe in, to place your trust in, and to live your life from this point on with Jesus Christ, God the Son, sent by God the Father to rescue people from death and to bring them to life. And so this very day, today, this morning, after this message and during this receiving of communion, If there's anybody here who isn't sure about where we are with Jesus, who desire to be saved by him, you can go to one of our prayer ministers on either side and you go and just tell them, you want to be sure about your relationship with Jesus, you want eternal life, you don't want to perish, and they will pray for you. And that very moment, you will be flooded, I believe, with an assurance that you are okay with God and he's okay with you. And so perhaps some of you here today have come to Christ in just that way. You've come to believe in him. You've received eternal life. And you have gone out to share that good news with other people who have responded to your invitation. And praise the Lord for that. However, I believe that there is a more clear and serious warning from the scriptures than just, if you don't accept Christ, you're not going to be in heaven. It's a warning that I believe has more cross-the-Bible background to it, a warning that is both really, in a sense, less terrifying, but more relevant to where most people live and more loving to where they are. It's tied up not with the question of what would happen if you were to die tonight, but the question 
if you're going to live another day, what difference would it make? If you were to live one more day, what difference would it make to the people around you and to the world that obviously needs love and truth and, and mercy? Now, I, I know that the people always think about the church as always issuing warnings, that we're always critiquing the way people live, and we often condemn their way of life. And so, not wanting to be judgmental, some of us here might be tempted to avoid giving warnings to the people around us, to play nice, to keep our relationship with Jesus private and our beliefs about his word and our way to ourselves, to be tolerant, to be polite, and to never warn others who don't know or follow Jesus Christ. But I believe that in this world, people of Jesus are to be like fighters, firefighters, You know, they're people that everybody loves and respects, as we well should, but particularly since 9-11. Now, like firefighters, the vast majority of our time and our work in the world is to be sent to help people who are in trouble, and that at the time that we offer them assistance, both small and great, all we really need to say is something like, Jesus loves you, that's why I'm doing this. Jesus said, in fact, let your light so shine before others they may see the good that you do and give glory to your Father in heaven. However, like the firefighters and anyone who's ever been in a public building like a church who runs a building like that knows that occasionally firefighters come into places like this and they warn us of things that might make it difficult for people if there were a fire here, like an an exit that is blocked or like an extension cord that runs across the floor and might trip somebody or catch fire. And so we get a little bit more annoyed at firefighters when they warn us and point the finger and say, you need to change that. But we're glad that they do that because it means that it makes the world a safer place in terms of fire. Well, the same is true for Christians. Every once in a while, we need to point out and offer a warning to individuals that are around us and to communities that we live in, that this way of life that you're practicing, it's not going to be helpful. In fact, without Jesus and his direction for life, it's going to cause a lot of heartache and a lot of death. In fact, God says in Ezekiel 3.18, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you don't warn them, people of God, or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sins, but I will hold you accountable for their blood. So this season of Advent, this season of waiting, not only for Christmas, but particularly for the second coming of Christ, it has a loving warning contained in it, a warning that you and I need to heed and that we really need to share. Now, last week in the first part of the Advent series, Waiting Here for You, Paul Joyle spoke of this season of Advent, the four weeks prior to Christmas, when God invites us, his people, through the church to wait eagerly and patiently, personally and collectively, for the time when Jesus will come to bring heaven and earth together and bring us home to live with him forever. And remember, Paul concluded with that, little song, an African-American spiritual, hold on just a little while longer, because everything's 
going to be all right. That's a great little song. Hold on, fight on, love on just a little bit longer. Waiting, waiting for the God who comes. Well, this week, I want to describe God's loving warning found in this season when we think not only of the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, but also the second coming of Jesus at the end of time. So first, there's a personal warning to each one of us from Jesus' first coming. And the warning is this. Your way of living matters. So don't blow it. We find that in Matthew chapter 3. Your way of living matters. Don't blow it. Now, the key male character in this season of Advent, preparing for the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, is John the Baptist. He prepares the way for the first coming of Jesus. Well, how did he do it? If you turn to Matthew chapter 3 in the church Bible, it's on page 682. He says this. It says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he goes on to say this, verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. So the warning here was repent. You need to change your way of life. Your way of living matters. Don't blow it by living contrary to God's way. Confess your sins, John was saying. Change your way of life because the kingdom has already come near and the king is now here among us and will shortly be revealed. And he also issued a specific warning to people like us, to religious people, who I assume are most of us here today because it's Sunday morning and the rest of the world is sleeping in, but you've come out at 9 a.m. to worship. You're probably religious. And so he said in verse 7, Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, religious leaders, coming to where he was baptized, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God is able to raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And see, these are religious people who professed faith in God. The God of Israel, Yahweh. And yet Jesus was saying it's not so much about professing faith, it's about living faith. Having a living faith in God that shows in the fruit of your life and your actions. The fruit of repentance, which would be love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Now, none of us religious people here, I hope, think we can say that we're doing okay with all that stuff. No, our way of living matters to God. Don't blow it off by simply saying, well, I go to church. I'm a religious person. You see, John the Baptist held up the standard of behavior that was set up for us. He said in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, but burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See, Jesus, full of the Spirit, full of the fire of God, was going public shortly. Having lived a sinless life quietly for 30 years as a child, a youth, as a son working in his father's carpenter shop, Jesus was the standard for human life, such that John said that he, John, wasn't even worthy to carry his own sandals. But Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming that first time to give himself fully for the sake of other people including John and including you and me and everybody who's ever lived or will live until he comes. So anyone here who thinks that they're living pretty well is warned. Jesus is the standard by which we will be winnowed, by which we will be judged by God, just as a farmer judges between what is wheat and what is chaff. Now, I think when I compare myself with other people, I say to myself, you're pretty good. You're a pretty good guy. You know, you kind of take care of business. You smile at people. You're polite. You know how to use the correct fork at dinner. You know, stuff like that. I'm a pretty good guy. That's my problem. Is I've been raised to think I'm a good guy. And I was raised to think that way because I was raised in a nice world. If I'd been raised somewhere else in a tough place, maybe I'd be different. That's not the point point is, my way of living matters, and I need to submit that way of living to God. So there's this personal warning from Jesus' first coming. Your way of living matters. Change it. Don't blow it. But there's also a collective warning that goes to all of us from Jesus' first coming. Our way of living needs humility, and we need to come down from the high place that some of us have placed ourselves in this. Now, we come to this from a really wonderful part of the scripture. It's in Luke chapter one. It's on page 724 in your church Bible. And it's the other major figure of the Advent season, and that's Mary, the mother uh, of Jesus, who is also preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus. And how did she do that? Well, she offered herself to the Holy Spirit in her body and in her spirit, like her son did. Here's what she said as she did so, beginning in chapter 1 at verse 46, which is Mary's song called the Magnificat. She said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She magnifies the Lord, hence this is called, using the Latin word for magnify or glorify, the Magnificat. But she also goes on to warn the people of God of what this Savior, her own son, is going to do. In verse 50, she says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty away. Now, this is a word of warning to us collectively that we need to really pursue humility to come down from any pride that we may have in ourselves or our heritage or our accomplishments. Now, personal pride and being feeling good about yourself, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of stuff that puts you here and somebody else there. And you see, God's going to redo that whole deal in the coming of his son, Jesus. God's mercy note extends to those who fear him, who revere God as God. He lifts up those who are humble in their lifestyle or way of life. He scatters, however, those who are proud, even in their inmost thoughts. He brings down those who are on the top and lifts up those who are hungry, who are hungry for God. Those who are rich in themselves, thinking that they're something when they're nothing, he sends away. There's a warning for a people that is filled with pride. Now we've just gone through a horrible election. It's been full of lies on both sides and it's divided this nation. And you know what we've been divided on? Pride. Each side told us somehow that we were here or we were here or that this nation was here. On whose standards were they telling us that? God's standards? I don't think so. Collective pride is a barrier to the mercy of God, and we need to ditch it. We need to be humble in our living, nationally, locally, and internationally. In several of Jesus' teaching stories, he speaks about our being judged on how we treat those who are in humble circumstances, the hungry, the strangers, those who are in prison, either physically or emotionally or spiritually through illness or addiction. We need to fear and revere God as a people and to set ourselves apart from any nation or state or party or movement that would kind of lift itself up and point the finger and say, you're the problem. That's a problem for God when we do that. We need to be rich in humility and serving others, poor in spirit, allowing God to fill us. So there's this collective warning from Jesus' first coming. Our way of living needs humility. We need to come down from our pride. But then there's also some warnings from the second coming of Jesus. His coming not as one of us, but as Lord of us and of all to bring in a new heaven and a new earth when he comes again. And again, there's the personal warning that comes to us from Jesus' second coming. Your way of living and mine needs to have purpose, and we need to find it now from God who will show us our purpose in living. Now that comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, and you'll find it on page 861 in your church Bible. Now this is a passage that Paul Joel used last week that speaks to us of the second coming of Jesus, encouraging us to wait for that coming who will bring heaven and earth together. Now, Peter warns us about how we are to wait, chapter 3 and verse 14. So there, dear friends, 
Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. And then down in verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Your way of living and mine needs purpose for the second coming. Spotless, blameless, patient, keeping to the scriptures. Now, for every one of us here, it's going to be different as to how we do that, and we need to let the Lord show us how we can embody those things in a purposeful way of life. Keeping to the scriptures, growing in grace, as one person says, growing in grace so you won't groan in disgrace when the Lord comes again or when you meet him when you die. Now, those of us here on the older side of things, got the hair to prove it, um, we've been lied to by the AARP. I I hate the AARP, personally. Not just because I'm trying to be a young guy. I'm an old guy. I gotta get over that, right? But I hate it that they're telling me, hey, you've lived your life, now it's your time. Move to Florida, let the young people take care of you, and so on. And I say to that, baloney. You know, the idea that somehow I've done my thing and maybe I've done my church thing, you know. I've put out for God in the past. Now it's the younger generation's turn to take over. Ever heard that attitude before? Problem when you just live for yourself. Now, if you're on the younger side of things here, and thankfully we've got a lot of folks who are in that attitude, place and, and, and position, uh, you could be thinking, well, once I, I kind of, you know, get to whatever place I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I, I got to get the car, I got to get the, the, the spouse or the, or the whoever it is in my life, um, you know, I got to get the kids. Once I do that, then I can really go for God. Warning. Or those of us who are sort of in the middle of the old and the young, we say, well, once I get all this stuff taken care of, I've got so much to take care of, I got... Kids, I got a house, I got an apartment, I got a condo, I got whatever, I got a car, whatever, I got to pay that. Once I deal with that, then I'll be out for God. Warning, warning. Jesus would say to anybody who thinks that, you fools, this very night your soul may be required of you. Or Paul would say, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You need to find God's purpose now, today. Now, I don't know, but these days, and maybe just my age, I feel as if I'm being pulled towards glory. I just have almost this physical sensation that there's this tractor beam that's on me that's pulling me forward towards what's going to be coming, towards the glory that is coming. And I need to be aware of that And I want to be ready. I want to be ready and not to be ashamed before Jesus when either I die or he comes again in glory. So there's this personal warning of Jesus' second coming. Your way of living needs purpose. Find it. Let God show it to you. And then there's again a collective warning of Jesus' second coming. Our way of living has significance. Focus it, focus it. This is the word of my life, friends. I'm a little bit kind of scattered, and so I'm always gonna say, Len, focus, 
focus. Our way of living needs to be focused because it has significance. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, very end of the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus speaks of the second coming. It's on page 701. Now, as Paul Joyle said last week, lots of people wonder when Jesus is going to come again. And are you aware of the fact that while he was here as one of us, Jesus himself also wondered about when God the Father would send him to bring in the new heaven and the new earth. He said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, about that day, no one knows, not even the angel of heavens, nor the Son. I don't even know, he said. Only the Father knows. But then he went on to say these words of warning in verse 37. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, they're marrying and giving in marriage up to the day when Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite title that he applied to himself. So that's how it will be, Jesus said, when I come again. So apparently there's going to be a whole group of people who will be largely of unconscious of how there will come a day of reckoning, a day of winnowing, a day of judgment, when it will all be over and all of us will be standing before God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. People like that are living without focus in terms of God, living without focus in terms of their lives being significant. This life is significant. That's good news. Everything we do matters to God. But there are folks who don't know that. Now, we here know, or I hope we know, that we too will be judged at the end of time. We will be judged. But that if we are in Christ, there will be no condemnation since we believe Jesus died to forgive us all of our sins and we've been focused on his living as if, on our living as if this were so. Seeking God's grace to be spotless, blameless, at peace with him and others. Growing in the grace of God day by day. We've been living lives of significance before God, I trust. But the world around us doesn't know that. And we can be duped into their way of thinking. That life will continue as normal. As we eat as we drink, as we have relationships, as we do life, and then as we die. We need to remind ourselves as we're able to warn them and ourselves that the Lord has come, he will come, and before then, he is now here to warn us and them of the significance of human life, life before God and before others, and how we need to get ready for the life that's going to come in all of its fullness. That's why I'm really glad for Advent. Because I know that churches that do Advent, at least once a year, they're going to be focused on the second coming of Christ, which lends significance to life. It means that you don't have all of history to work this thing out, that God is working out his plan in history and he'll come again. So there's this collective warning of the second coming. Our way of life has significance. Focus it. 
But I do want you to notice this, my friends. Jesus' loving warning doesn't go out there first. It starts right here in this room. With us and with everybody else all over the world is gathering in worship today. With everyone who calls themselves by the name of Christian. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, the church. Not that we are getting judged as will those at the end of the time who haven't turned to God in this life. No, the judgment we need to have is the judgment of ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, test or judge yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. You see, somebody said, whenever you point a finger at somebody else, you need to recognize there are three fingers pointing back at you. (laughs) It's kind of like, whenever you do that, you need to recognize, uh uh-oh. And Jesus, in fact, referred to that when he once said, you hypocrite, first take that big log out of your eye whenever you attempt to see a speck in somebody else's eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove that speck from your brother or sister's eyes. And so we're to help each other here, a journey, to see the logs that we have in our lives, to exhort each other, to remove them, to encourage each other to take away even the little specks by comparison from others as we warn them lovingly. We're to heed the very warnings that we need to help other people to hear. And you know, that's part of the reason why Hallie and I joined the journey. We love Tom and now we love Vit. And we love the staff here. But that's not why you join a church, at least not why we joined a church, because of you guys. Hallie and I are going through a challenging period of life, if you haven't noticed. And if you do, that's what's going on. We're, we're, in a, we're in a challenging time. And we realize that we need to have people around us who are going to encourage us to keep the faith of Jesus Christ and not kind of blow us with, you know, sweet like, how you doing? Oh, great to see you. That's fine, but there are some of you who have already spoken into us in ways that you, can, you can't even imagine. Encourage me and Hallie to keep the faith in spite of the challenges that we're going through. That's why we joined Journey. And that's why we need to warn each other to repent, to receive God's mercy, grace, and love. Then we'll be able to help warn others lovingly. So these warnings, you see, they are loving because they lead us to Jesus, what somebody called Jesus' third coming. When Jesus comes now to forgive you for your way of living. He doesn't warn you so you'll fail, so that you'll be lost. He warns you so that you can succeed in life, both today and forever so that you can be saved. Jesus will come to empower you to live this new life. He doesn't warn you without helping you to accomplish it. He promises power in the Holy Spirit to survive and to thrive. And also when Jesus comes to unite us together to serve, he doesn't warn you for yourself alone. He warns you for others that he will send you to serve. He desires everybody to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, Jesus Christ and his word. So again, this morning, if you want to be assured of God's forgiveness and God's power and God's purpose for your life, then please, as you're receiving communion, or maybe for some of you, instead of receiving communion, go directly, get some prayer, let somebody pray for you. Now I want to close the message with four pictures, four pictures on the screen This is another way that God may speak to some of you of how Jesus can bring us from warning to welcome 
to wonder, all in the context of waiting for him. We'll hear more about those other two, welcome and wonder, in the next two weeks of the Advent season. The first picture is a picture by an Italian artist called Masaccio. He's in the 15th century, and it's a picture of Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden, driven out, as Genesis 3 says, by God, and a sword, a flaming sword, being put in the way of their returning. And so I want us to close in on the faces there. Next slide. Take a look at those faces. That's the human condition without the grace of God. Intense shame, sorrow, perhaps rage and anger, frustration, sense of hopelessness and purposelessness, shame and grief, all of that. That's what it's like to be human. Whether it be here in the United States of America or in one of the poorest nations on earth, from the top to the bottom, that's us. But then the next slide is a picture from... Advent or Christmas. It's a picture of hope in Christ. On the left, we have Eve. On the right, we have Mary. And so we have Eve who's holding the fruit in her hand. And again, her head is bowed and she's feeling shame. And wrapped around her leg is the snake who has wounded her heel. This is a picture of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But the seed of the woman... Mary's seed, which is growing in her womb, Eve puts her hand out and touches that belly of that infant baby. In this picture, this imaginative picture of the human race reaching out to Jesus. You know, isn't it wonderful that Jesus came to be a human being? Because that's an attractive thing. Everybody loves a little baby. But he grew up, of course, to become the savior of the world, and now he's the master of the universe, but anybody can reach out and touch him because he will crush the head of our enemy, the serpent who wants to take us into death and hell. And so the next picture is a picture from the Orthodox Church called the harrowing of hell. It's a picture of what Jesus the Savior does. There he is, risen from the dead, alive, muscular, full of all power, Around him are the saints of the Old Testament who are watching as he takes by the hand Adam and Eve who are in the grave on the left and on the right. And under Jesus, you can't see it, are gates that have been smashed, gates of hell. And there are locks and chains that have kept people in bondage and they've all been broken. And Jesus has come to rescue people and to take them out of hell and death. And if you'll notice closely when you look at this at some point, check it out. It's a great picture to focus on when you think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, no, this is what God is doing. He is taking those people by the wrist. They're not even holding on to him. He is grabbing them. And that's what he wants to do to you. It's to grab you, take you to his side. So that, final slide, you can one day be welcomed home. Be welcomed home by Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. And this is a promise and invitation that we can offer to all, that God is a powerful God. He's a God who moves in such simple acts as just reaching out to touch him. He moves as he grabs us and takes us from death into life. And one day he will touch us and embrace us when we'll be home to be with him forever. Jesus welcoming you and me, and all who will heed his warning and who will repent 
and come. That's what you're going to be invited to do right now as we turn towards God's invitation in the Lord's Supper in Holy Communion when he invites you and me to come into union, to commune with him and with each other. Now each of us recognizes we've been far away at times, lost in sin. We've heard his warnings and yet we're grateful that he died on the cross to bring us near to him and to his Father in the power of the Holy Spirit represented in this sacrament of bread and wine. For remember that on the night Jesus was handed over to suffering and death that he took bread and he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take and eat this for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, he took the cup. and When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me, for this cup is the cup of my blood, which was shed for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here's a scripture to carry with you as you're invited to come to the Lord and to his table today. How about if we read this scripture together? In Christ Jesus You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our peace, that you warn us and disturb us with questions like this, things that you point out not to distress us, but so that in being distressed we might come to your peace. So we thank you that you are the one who has made peace between us and the Heavenly Father. And so this morning, come to communion, we'll light the second Advent candle, the Advent candle of peace. First one was the candle um, of hope. This will be the candle of peace. So come as the Lord invites you. Come to receive the bread and wine. Come to receive prayer from the Lord.